The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, publishes a newsletter. Uh, well, it publishes that newsletter. It also publishes What is Chen Buying? Uh, and what is Chen selling? Um, Chen actually publishes that, but we distribute it. And uh, you can access uh, my newsletter by going to jtaylormedia.com. Uh, and also, uh, if you go to jtaylormedia.com, there's something else there I think is uh, I would like to call your attention to, and that's my Inflation Deflation Watch, which I uh, really pay a lot of attention to because of with all of the um, economic pathology uh, surrounding us with the policymakers uh, destroying capitalism right now in favor of socialism, uh, there we're in big trouble in a lot of different ways. Of course, you're going to hear this theme on a regular basis on this show, but one of the major concerns I have and the biggest question in my mind is how does this uh, play out? Does it play out through an inflationary uh, uh, hyperinflation even scenario or do we go into a deflationary depression and my inflation deflation watch which I update regularly on my website at J Taylor Media is there uh, for you to go to just hit the IDW link at jtaylormedia.com what I'm really concerned about uh, is it seems to me an acceleration of asset inflation is starting to take place right now. Well, that could be good news for gold and gold shares, but not necessarily good news for gold mining companies because it's the profit you make in your mining operation that drives the stock prices, not necessarily the value in the ground. If it costs more to get it out than it's worth, uh, what good is it in the ground to you? So uh, I should mention with, uh, with respect to Chen Lin's letter, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling, you do need to go on a waiting list if you're interested in subscribing to that letter. And Beginning in April, Chen will be taking some new subscribers uh, depending on how many uh, drop off of his list through attrition. But uh, you can go to uh, J, uh, you could go to uh, miningstocks.com is the best place to go to to sign up for Chen's letter. Put your name on the waiting list. 
Well, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, Making It the Number One Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to thank our sponsors uh, for making the show uh, economically viable. Uh, for the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resources Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold, and today we have a new sponsor, Paramount Gold and Silver. This is a company that I think is really worth watching. It's one, uh, I must tell you that I just really uh, recently purchased some shares of this stock and talked about it in my newsletter last week. Uh, we are going to be talking to Chris Krupe later on uh, in today's show at around 4 o'clock, and Chris is the, the, uh, the president and CEO of that company. He is going to update us uh, on what is going on at Paramount Gold and Silver, but I should also mention uh, this was an interview that we did this weekend, and subsequent to that, this morning, the company put out a very exciting uh, drill result of uh, 161.5 meters of over a gram per ton at its sleeper uh, project in Nevada. This is a company that already has some 10 million gold-equivalent ounces in all different uh, categories. Uh, in the 43101, uh, various categories of 43101. Uh, it is a company I think is very worth watching. And anyway, we'll uh, ask you to listen to Chris Krupe, what he has to say about uh, Paramount Gold and Silver. And again, that's at about 4 o'clock. Bravada Gold Corp. is not currently a sponsor. Uh, they have been in the past, but I'd just like to outline, I, I did write a fairly extensive report on Bravada Gold this past weekend. This is a stock that's selling at $0.05 cents or thereabouts, but... I think with its uh, joint venture or its arrangement um, that it has going there with a with an established company, one that's growing very rapidly, very very competent and capable uh, of moving that project forward, spending its money seven and a half million over the next couple of years. Um, I said in my newsletter that I think this is a stock that could easily become a ten or twenty bagger from its current five cent price, and I really do mean that for reasons that I have outlined in my own newsletter. Uh, you may contact Bravada Gold for a, uh, a copy of that uh, report. Uh, I think they may be distributing it in the near future. Other companies of note, uh, sponsors, Brazil Resources. I think this is um, Amir Adnani. This is uh, another Amir Adnani company along with Uranium Energy. But Brazil Resources is continuing to move along. They just announced an increase in their indicated resource uh, by 77% to 786,737 ounces of gold. Uh, Amir has had a remarkable track record, and uh, the other company that he is known for, Uranium Energy, has just uh, put out an announcement uh, today or yesterday talking about its increase in production of uranium. The company is producing... Uh, growing amounts of uranium from uh, Texas. It was uh, really the first new uranium producer in the United States in quite some time and uh, moving forward very nicely with its project in uh, in Texas. I do expect to have Amir Anani on this show again sometime in the not-too-distant future to talk about uranium energy. Dynacor, what can I say? This is a little company that's produced over 61,000 ounces of gold last year. I'm going to ha- be having um, Jean uh, Martineau on the show uh, at the end, uh, well, in another few weeks or so, he's coming on to talk about the earnings that company had uh, in Peru. Uh, 61,274 ounces of production last year. Production continues to grow, plus they have uh, their uh, SCARN target uh, in uh, known as the Tumi Pampa project in Peru that has a chance to come up really big. And what I really like about this company is they avoid dilution. They only have 36 million shares outstanding. 
They're internally financed. They're growing the company without having to go to the brokers and dilute their shareholders' interest uh, from here to kingdom come. Eurasian uh, Resources, I'm going to be talking to Eurasian uh, a little bit later today, and um, David Cole is going to be with me. Uh, and just, in fact, just at a few minutes, about 10 minutes after or so, he's slated to come in here uh, to talk to us about uh, about Eurasian Minerals. And this is a company, um, project generator company that, Really, I think it's, well, one of the best there is. It's out there with a huge amount of money, big projects, big companies earning into that company. Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, well, they just really uh, added, I think, you can only be uh, considered uh, a star management talent in the, persons of, in the person of Carlos Fernandez Monse. Uh, and he is going to be a guest of mine next week. Uh, he's with Golden Arrow Resources Corporation. This is a company with this Chinchillas project is evolving into a very significant silver project in Argentina. Uh, and they have a huge number of other properties that look very prospective, highly prospective uh, properties in Argentina. And again, Carlos Fernandez Masi, who was, uh, had his, um, he's a mining engineer, considerable success with a silver project in uh, in South America and was also uh, on President Clinton's uh, team that was uh, looking to help third world countries uh, develop wealth. So uh, Carlos will be with me next week. Um, Paramount Gold and Silver, I just mentioned, Chris Krupe going to be with me. Uh, and uh, other companies, Precipitate Gold Corp has recently come up with some nice uh, intersection, well, actually surface samples uh, on its property that's down there in uh, Dominican Republic next to um, uh, next to another gold quest, uh, gold quest discovery, which is very, very significant. Uh, with respect to, uh, oh, and last but not least, uh, with respect to our sponsors, we're going to be talking to Richard Bedell at about 4.30 today, Renaissance Gold. Uh, Richard Bedell and Ron Parrott headed up this company. They've had an enormous amount of success as a project generator, uh, and they have a lot of very interesting properties, very highly prospective properties in Nevada in Spain and in Argentina, and we'll be talking to Richard Bedell. And here's a company that's selling at something like 24 cents uh, with 30 million shares outstanding, project generator, tremendous record of success in the past, lots of great targets to shoot at still in Nevada, and I think a company that uh, is likely to do very, very well uh, in uh, going forward. Uh, so we're going to talk to Richard Bedell at about uh, at, a, at about 4.30, uh, thereabouts, New York time today. Now, uh, with respect to today's show, we've gonna have, we're going to be talking to David Tice uh, and Pamela Aiden. Now, David uh, will be with me here at about 3.25 or 3.30 this afternoon uh, as soon as we finish talking to David Cole of Eurasian Minerals. And uh, Pamela Aiden will be with me at about 4.15 today. Uh, and we're, David uh, Tice was uh, formerly with the Prudent Bear Fund. That's probably what he's best known for. Uh, and he left the Prudent Bear Fund, sold his interest in the Prudent Bear Fund, and started making movies. And uh, a second movie we're going to talk to him about today is called The Bubble, in which uh, he has various people that have been on this show starring in that film. People like Ron Paul, Peter Schiff, Jim Rogers, uh, Doug Casey, Gene Epstein, Mark Faber, all of which were on this show. These are gentlemen that will be in this movie. And they're really what David is doing is using this film as a way to try to alert people 
uh, to the fact that we still have a lot of problems. We've not come out, our problems are not solved, and, and as a result, uh, people need to be aware and not get sucked back into investing in mainstream uh, items that, uh, that are likely to, uh, to go down when the bubble bursts again. So David will be with us, and then Pam Aiden uh, will be with me at about 4.15 this afternoon. We'll ask her what her views are on the uh, gold and silver markets and other markets as well. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, David Cole will be with me in just a couple of minutes as soon as we go to commercial break. Chris Krupe of Paramount Gold and Silver and Richard Bedell in the second hour of today's show will be with me. Uh, we are going to go to commercial break now, and uh, as soon as we uh, come back, we'll uh, look to talk to David Cole. Don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Precipitate Gold is focused on exploring and developing its gold properties in the Dominican Republic in Mexico. Precipitate's management team has been responsible for numerous takeovers, with valuations exceeding $280 million. With a successful team and a growing portfolio of quality gold assets, including an attractive concession adjacent to GoldQuest's holdings in the Dominican Republic, the company is well positioned for growth in 2013. For more information, please visit www.precipitategold.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Into good times, and it looks like a, a replay of last week. We were supposed to have uh, David Cole with us from Eurasian Minerals, and uh, something happened last week. He didn't show up, and something seems to be happening again this week. He doesn't show up so far. Our engineer is trying to reach him, and perhaps we will have him uh, for a few minutes at least. We'll uh, we'll check in uh, and uh, with my engineer Matt and try to see if uh, if he shows up. In any event, um, I would just like to talk to you a little bit about. Um, about my inflation deflation watch. I mentioned if you go to jtaylormedia.com, 
the uh, inflation deflation watch is something that I've put there and I've written about it. There's a fairly extensive explanation uh, ab- about my um, inflation deflation watch. Um, and what it seems to me is happening right now uh, is that we are on to a major, potentially a major acceleration of uh, of asset prices. And of course, uh, this has really started to accelerate uh, following the um, QE2, the implementation of QE infinite, I should say. Uh, and um, uh, and we're start- starting to see, you know, stock prices and commodity prices and all manner of prices starting to rise very dramatically. At the same time, though, however, the real economy is reeling, and it is it is really nothing like what the policymakers are trying to pretend uh, it is like. And as I talked in my in a recent talk that I gave uh, in Toronto, we had um, uh, I talked about how. If you use John Williams numbers, uh, John Williams inflation numbers and GDP numbers, uh, they, the real economy is not performing as well as they would have us believe. In fact, it is never really bounced back. Well, I'm told, my engineer tells me that we do have David Cole with me. So I'm going to hold that thought for the closing, uh, uh, remarks of, of this hour, if I, uh, or the second hour, I should say, uh, before we conclude our, uh, discussion today. But, uh, David Cole of Eurasian Minerals is with me. So let's, uh, let's hop right on to David. Hi, David. Jay, how are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? Are you are you are we talking to you from Colorado today? That's correct. In the home office here in Colorado. That's correct. Lucky guy, Colorado uh, and the mountains and the snow and all of that, huh? So, <laughs> when I've got the time to enjoy it, that's fantastic. I imagine you're a very busy man with so many projects going on. Eurasian Minerals. You you head up that company. Um, you know, as we, as I like to tell people that, uh, the project generator models, which is what you are involved with, what you are running, Eurasian Minerals is in that, uh, in that business, uh, reduces risk because you really get other people to spend money and you don't have the dilution problem that most companies have and you diversify. Uh, you have a lot of properties. I don't know exactly how many properties do you have now, David, in, in Eurasian Minerals. Yep. yep, Jay, we've got 150 properties scattered across, um, uh, 10, more than 10 countries. And I must say that I believe more in the prospect generation business model today than I did yesterday. Um, you know, the, 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 been in this business now for a decade, and uh, we continue to see how the prospect generation business model is a powerful wealth creator for the shareholders as it continues to accrete value. Well, the prospect generator model is one thing. But also the management that heads up that is always important too. It's not to to say that the management of a prospect generator model is less important than one of another company. Although I would say that you reduce your risk with uh, with so many different companies and diversification. But nonetheless, you have a very strong management team there as well. People have come over. Some I, I've heard them called uh, Newmont refugees, so to speak. People. <laughs> qualified uh, senior executives and technicians from Newmont and other major companies that are heading up your uh, your firm um, and and I think that a lot of that a lot of these gentlemen that have come over have also brought a lot of knowledge about projects and and maybe they've been dropped by some of the majors in the past but still having that knowledge of where uh, you know what some of the top prospects were. I mean, a lot of times the mining companies just don't have the money to spend, so they drop projects. But that doesn't mean the gold or the silver or the copper, or whatever, has gone anywhere. Could you maybe just comment very briefly on on a couple of your your top, you know, top management personnel and, and their background? Because I think that's very very important for people to understand that. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, this business is definitely centered around intelligence. And uh, some of the folks that I have the opportunity to work with are humbling. Um, you know, I'll start with uh, Dr. Steve Enders, who uh, was the executive vice president of uh, global exploration for Newmont Mining Corporation uh, before retiring from them and coming to work uh, here as the chief operating officer with uh, Eurasian Minerals. And we're just delighted to have his expertise employed um, helping us to continue to generate properties and to execute deals across the uh, planet. Uh, you know, his uh, reputation with major mining companies across the globe is fantastic, and he really opens up uh, doors for us and helps us with our marketing of our projects as well as the in-depth uh, geologic knowledge he has of various uh, trends around the world. And prior to working with Newmont, he was the president of, of uh, global exploration for Phelps Dodge, the largest U.S. copper company. So with the top job in the exploration side uh, for the largest U.S. copper company and the largest U.S. gold company, uh, he brings a lot of experience. And, and uh, uh, some of the other particularly astute individuals we have in the company would include Dr. Eric Jensen and Dr. David Johnson, each of which manages a hemisphere um, for Eurasian Minerals. Uh, Dr. Johnson manages the Americas and on the prospect generation side, helping to, uh, using his expertise to generate new properties uh, in Arizona and Nevada. And it, I should point out that what we believe are some of the best structural geologists in the United States actually are employed by Eurasian Minerals and some of their structural geologic models are used to help unravel the geology of Arizona and Nevada, uh, developing new prospects. And these prospects market very well with major companies when we do our deals to get the uh, major companies to come in and spend their money on our properties to advance them, to de-risk them, as you said, um, and, and to leverage the fact that we're the landlord and have the expertise to be able to advance those prospects towards discovery. Um, and uh, you know, Dave's just a, a great member of the team, and Dr. Eric Jensen, also a Ph.D. out of the University of Arizona, manages uh, Europe and Asia and Africa, well, and he's doing a great job over there. You have a very, very strong management team. I would encourage listeners to go to your website and check out the whole management team, read their bios. Uh, we're, we're a little short on time, so I've got to move on here. But, sure. Uh, of, uh, your projects, so the last time I talked to you, I think it was the Akarsa Gold and Silver project, might have been the one that you were most high on. How does that one stack up now? What Anything new on that one? Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Jay. Um, we're, we're very excited about the results of Akarsa. In fact, we just put out a press release a number of days ago with uh, one drill hole that intercepted oxide uh, gold mineralization from very near surface, totaling 101 meters of 1.25 grams per ton gold, a very nice intercept. And and that stimulated a lot of additional interest in the, in the property. And I was just at the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada conference in Toronto, and I presented that prospect um, uh, to a, a packed room full of folks. And, and uh, um, you know, it's just a, a matter of short time before we have a super good deal done on that property. Um, and we're excited about the results. Yeah, that's, that one's panned out very, very well. Yeah, and you got 100% of that back. Now, I have to ask you, as a project generator, how f much further will you take that on your own? You have a lot of interest, though, I gather, from the majors. There are some big companies interested in that project. Is that right? We, we do have a lot of interest in the property. It's very tempting to, to continue to work that prospect um, ourselves, and it's been debated within the company because it has been significantly de-risked. We have had about $5.2 million of other companies' money spent on the property, and then we were able to buy the property back, and we've advanced it now a little bit on our own with some astonishing results, actually, Jay. Uh, but probably we'll stick with the model here and, and have somebody else come in and 
pay us to paint the fence uh, using the Tom Sawyer model. Well, that's probably the wise thing to do to stick to your knitting, even though you definitely would have the personnel to take some good shots and spend your own money. Clearly, that's uh, the project generator model. You also, we only have a couple of minutes, my engineer tells me. The tur- in Turkey, you also have a 4% royalty on a project. You've got a lot of projects in Turkey, but you have one, I think, a privately owned project that has uh, got a 4% royalty. Is that coming? Is that some- How soon might that be in production? How soon might you get some cash flow from that? Yeah, great question. Uh, one of the one of the uh, first of all, uh, one of the fruits of a well-managed prospect generation portfolio is the organic growth of a royalty portfolio. And of course, the market loves royalties. One of our key royalty holdings is the four percent royalty on the Balia project in advancing district scale Ledzig Silver Discovery. The owner of that project um, is Dediman Madanjilik, a local Turkish mining company with about a half a dozen operating mines in the country, and they tell us that they'll have production in 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, you got production coming out. You got gold. You got uh, some royalties coming out of Nevada. Uh, I think it was around six million dollars last year. How does that look? Is that likely to increase over time? But it's not. It's not a steady stream, is it? You know, it's been a bumpy payer throughout its history. Um, right now, it's tracking at around five, five and a half million dollars a year. Uh, we're very bullish on the long-term potential for additional ounces to be discovered on the Carlin trend, and for additional ounces to be discovered on this property. We can't promise that, of course, but uh, we bought that royalty for very specific uh, reasons based upon our geological intelligence, and and uh, we believe it's a very, very good bet. We're happy to have a cash-flowing royalty from Newmont's, some of Newmont's operations on the Carlin trend. You know, you've got a 36% uh, interest in a project in Kyrgyzstan, I believe it is. I'd love to ask you about that. Uh, we, we just don't have time. I, you know, I have to ask you about this, though. Haiti. Sure talked to last week uh, that has some interest down there in Dominican Republic said that they're, get, they're hearing rumors that there's a lot of activity going on in your joint venture with Newmont and Haiti. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah. You know, uh, we have a, a, a substantial land position in Haiti. We got in there early. Um, we did a joint venture with Newmont that was originally a regional strategic alliance, and then from that regional strategic alliance emanated six designated projects picking up the bulk of our land holdings where Newmont advances at 100% spend going to their account, advances our properties, and we're in for a carried interest there. And the geology on the island of Española is fabulous, including on the Dominican Republic side, the Pueblo Viejo deposit, one of the largest gold deposits in the Western Hemisphere. And that geology strikes across the border um, in the Massif de Nord mineral belt from the Dominican Republic onto the Haitian side, and the geology there is very, very, very interesting, and we're hopeful that uh, long-term a number of different uh, uh, good mineral deposit discoveries will be made there and, and uh, that Newmont will find what they're looking for and the Eurasian mineral shareholders are along for the ride and part and parcel to our business model. I'm not the one writing the checks. It's a very, very, very good situation for the Eurasian mineral shareholder. Well, we're going to be looking for news events coming out, news announcements coming out of your company. That's for sure. It is a top pick of mine in my newsletter. I own shares. It is a sponsor to this show. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Australia, you got so many things going on. I would just encourage my listeners to go out and check out this company. Your website, Dave, before we say goodbye today, what is it? EurasianMinerals.com. EurasianMinerals.com. Folks, check it out. We're at the bottom of a of a market here. I think there's going to be some huge gains to be made in the uh, in the gold and silver markets. So uh, check out Eurasian Minerals. A very very good situation. Don't go away. We'll be right back with David Tice. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Paramount Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico. Backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet, an experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me today for a second time on this show, David Tice. David has a strong background in accounting and finance. He is best known as the founder of the Prudent Bear Fund, and he his relentless prophecy, uh, prophecies about impending financial problems uh, that he warned about during the bubbles, during the tech bubbles, and then the housing bubbles, even as Alan Greenspan was repeatedly warning or telling us that there was that it was impossible to know that we were in a bubble. David was insisting that we are in one and that we're going to have some big problems ahead. So he never really bought into the Greenspan propaganda line during those years, and the shareholders of the Prudent Bear Fund then uh, benefited from it when the bubbles finally finally collapsed. Uh, and so it is quite right that David work that his work has gained national recognition through several Barron's articles that he wrote and from his appearances on television shows like the Nightly Business Report, Wall Street Week uh, with Louis Rukeyser, and he also was very frequently seen on CNBC uh, television. And so, as I say, I'm really honored to have you with us today, David. Thanks for coming on our show. So glad to be with you, Jay, and your listeners. And you have done an exceptional job in educating your listeners about uh, issues in uh, financial markets over a number of years as well, so you're to be commended. 
Well, you know, David, I must say that it was always a thrill to see you uh, pop up on CNBC when I'm sitting in my office here. You and a handful of other people, you know, I'm thinking Mark Faber, Ron Paul, I'm looking at their pictures, guys that are going to be in your movie, uh, uh, your, your new movie coming up, uh, The Bubble. Uh, but guys like Ron Paul, Peter Schiff, uh, Jimmy Rogers, uh, you know, Doug Casey, Gene Epstein's a regular on our show, Mark Faber. But I can say that when I used to see you pop up on the show, it was one of those times when, you know, I took the mute button. Uh, hit the mute button to demute the show so I could hear what you had to say because most of the stuff was not worth listening to in my view. But um, uh, so yeah, you you have been uh, you know a, a prophet and you know they say you know, how do you know a prophet is a real prophet or a false prophet? Well, you you judge that by what actually happens. You know if you prophesy a prof- if you prophesy something that actually happens, then you're a legitimate prophet. So, so I guess by those measures, David, you were. Do uh, you, you have any any affiliation with uh, the Prudent Bear Fund? I guess you're completely detached from that now. I ended up selling the management company that managed the Prudent Bear Fund at the end of '08, and so I'm no longer affiliated. Although I'm still a huge advocate of the fund and, uh, and a great admirer of Doug Nolan and the team that was with me when we ran the fund for uh, the 14, 12 years prior to it being sold. Well, so you stepped away from the Prudent Bear Fund from a day-to-day Wall Street career, essentially, and you started entering a new career. And uh, it was very surprising to me to see you do that because most people don't make that kind of a transition. But I think it tells a lot about you and your values. Uh, David, I'd like to ask you about your new movie, the one that's coming out now, uh, The Bubble. The main thing, you know, that's what I'd like to really talk to you mostly about today. And I would tell our listeners that they can go to my website, jtaylormedia, that's jaytaylormedia.com, and there is, um, there, you can hook, you know, link up to the bubble. There's a trailer that you can see, and uh, it's a great, I think it's going to be a great movie. I, I, as I said, a lot of the people on this show uh, are, are featured in that, in that film. Um, so, David, when you were walking, you know, working directly in the financial markets day in and day out, um, as I say, you were a fairly regular guest on CNBC. I used to watch you, and as I say, very thrilled by by what you had to say. Um, and, and you know, you were really saying, "Look, we're in trouble here because this debt can't go on and on. You can't just keep, keep printing money." Uh, but there were those out there that were saying, "Yes, you can. You can just, you know, you don't have to pay attention to David Tice and to the old-fashioned ideas." Uh, but the, you know, it seems to me, David, that the lies and the half-truths and the spin, even after Lehman Brothers, even after the pain that we went through, are continuing to this day. Are you using the bubble movie as another means of warning people uh, of more troubles to come, much as you did uh, when you were, you know, more actively involved in the financial markets? Yes, I am, Jay, and you're exactly right. We warned people going back to. Really, the 97-98 period, we sponsored the Credit Bubble Symposium in September 1999. It was picked up by the front page of the Wall Street Journal the day after we had the conference where we had nine PhDs talk about the danger of excessive credit. We called that the Credit Bubble and its aftermath. I tried to take copies of, I ended up taking copies of the video that we made to the halls of Congress to warn people at the Joint Economic Committee and Senate Finance Committee, et cetera, as far as uh, too much debt, and really was uh, hardly listened to. And we ended up, of course, continuing to 
create a bigger bubble after the market did break, after we experienced the Internet bubble and the telecom bubble bursting in the year 2000 when the market went down a lot for about three years and then Greenspan just reignited it from 03 to 07. Then we experienced a crash in 08 and essentially we believe that we've been on a parallel track from 2009 to today where we're essentially not allowing the excesses to be cured Mm -hmm. but we're creating another bubble in government finance that is also going to end badly. So my idea with the bubble is to educate uh, people about really the Austrian School of Economics and the work of Tom Woods Mm -hmm. and that you cannot create money from thin air and this is not the road to prosperity and it ends badly and really the same policies are being pursued today and over the last few years that we pursued in earlier years that got us into this sad state well you you mentioned Tom Woods and he's one uh one gentleman I have not had on this show yet I definitely need to get him on on the show he's an academic uh, he's written a lot of a lot of things, an Austrian school economist. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about him? And, and he wrote a book, I believe, that maybe was the groundwork for this movie? Uh, yes, he was. Uh, Tom Woods is an exceptional individual. Uh, he's an economic historian with a PhD from Columbia. He's written 11 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Meltdown, which really inspired this film. He is... Uh, Meltdown was a phenomenal book, and he uh, really he, he's been on board from the very beginning uh, with this film. He, he's a founder of www.libertyclassroom.org, which teaches classes on economics and history. And he has been one of the more uh, pervasive uh, economist from the Austrian School of Economics that has talked about the danger of excess credit and mm-hmm. the problems of uh, our current Keynesian thinking. Right. Well, it's, it's something that most people don't want to listen to. So great, you know. And, and of course, you experienced that. What did you think, David, after the you know the the various bu- the two bubbles that collapsed and people said, "Oh, we couldn't have seen it coming." After you had gone to Congress with with all of your information and you know were a constant uh, prophet of these problems, what what? How did you respond to this notion? Because we heard it said all the time, "Oh, we couldn't have known that the Lehman Brothers problem would occur." Of course, we couldn't have known that Lehman Brothers would have occurred. Uh, precisely that problem, but what were you thinking when when people said that? I mean, I, I found those statements to really be ridiculous because uh, the, the people that are being uh, that are portrayed in the bubble, as far as Robert Murphy, Jim Grant, Mark Faber, Peter Schiff, Ron Paul, Jimmy Rogers, Ted Casey. <laughs> uh, uh, number of Austrian academics were all talking about this bubble. Mm-hmm. And I was certainly talking about it, and really it was very well understood. And I, I'd like to uh, really differentiate economists today and strategists between those that understood what was coming uh, when we 
those days leading up to the 08 crash and those that had no idea it was coming. Yeah. And generally those that saw it coming were believers in the Austrian School of Economics and Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard and Frederick Hayek. Uh, and then those economists that did not see it coming were not believers in the Austrian school at all, and therefore they were blindsided by it. Mm-hmm. So really you can almost differentiate the strategists and economists today into those two camps. Well, I, I definitely would agree with that, but it seems to me, David, that those who don't buy into the Austrian school of economics have just simply closed that that idea out, that the ideology or the ideas of Austrian school economics, either you're a Keynesian or you're an Austrian, it's almost like a, to this, a lot of these people, it's more like a religion than really an objective thought process of, you know, determining how, what they believe. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, I generally would. So, uh, one interesting thing about the promotional artwork on the bubble depicts the portraits of both George W. Bush and uh, President Obama as one. So, it's, you know, the features of both men are clearly evident in that, uh, and people will see that if they go to jtaylormedia.com, that the artwork there and where you can learn more about this wonderful film. But are you trying to say that there's virtually no difference then between the two parties, between the Republicans and Democrats, when it comes to major economic policies? We, that- we are not exactly saying that, Jay, but this film is not set up to be a political film. Mm-hmm. And it does look at the economic policies of both parties. And it mm-hmm. certainly makes the case that uh, the principles, economic principles pursued by both Obama and Bush have been very similar in terms of bailout, in terms of reckless money printing in order to get us out of this bubble, and that uh, there, there still has not been the reining in of public spending that is required, and that uh, really a pox on both their houses, as my friend Jimmy Rogers used to say. So, Jay, I should talk for a minute about Jimmy Morrison, because Jimmy Morrison, who's a 26-year-old college dropout, really, who uh, came up with this idea of this film. Mm-hmm. And it's really an amazing story in that Jimmy experienced uh, the bubble bursting in 07 and 08. So he wanted to go out and understand what happened and not be blindsided by the crash again. So mm-hmm. he went out to learn what happened and tried to educate people about, you know, bubbles. And really he started a production company in a house painting business in uh, 2006, 2007. And he was actually listening to as many MP3 files as he could Mm -hmm. uh, about the Austrian School of Economics. Mm -hmm. And so he listened for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And he ended up teaming with Tom Woods, who we talked about before, Mm -hmm. the great economic historian, the Ph.D., who has written the book, The Meltdown. Mm -hmm. And they together decided to uh, produce this film, The Bubble, to educate uh, people around the world about the Austrian School of Economics mm-hmm. and how these bubbles occurred and to try to uh, inform people so it wouldn't happen again. So Jimmy's an amazing guy who's driven more than 30,000 miles around the U.S. filming 16 interviews with experts that we talked about before. So mm. Jimmy is really to be commended. He's also working with another gentleman, Tyler Whitney, who is the, another producer with him uh, that Jimmy ended up meeting while he they both work for 
New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, Tyler Whitney is, of course, a person that I've met up with, and he is one that actually told me about this this film. So I'm really grateful to Tyler. Um, are there more more people you'd like to talk about, David? Yeah. Okay. Hold on. We'll see. Again, Jay, people can, if they want to learn more about the bubble, should go to the website, uh, thebubblefilm.com, mm-hmm. and you can get to that website from uh, your own website, Jay, as we talked about. Yep. Uh, but all the raw footage of our interviews is included uh, at that website. And that is so what, the bubble, what, what is it again, David? It's www.thebubblefilm.com. Uh, the bubble, thebubblefilm.com? Or just right. bubble film? The bubble film. Okay, great. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say is that we're planning on uh, releasing the film in the summertime, uh, hopefully, and we expect to follow that with 200 screenings around the country. And uh, GME will be available to conduct Q&A after these oh, uh, good. showings. Okay. And, and if you would like to schedule a showing of the film for your own community or mm-hmm. your own group, uh-huh. you know, that's certainly available. Wonderful. Because we're trying to make this very educational. Uh-huh. The, the other thing that uh, we're planning on doing is we're going to follow up this film with a miniseries uh, that is going to be more extensive, several different episodes diving deeper into uh, the, the various issues raised by the bubble because we simply will not have time in an hour-and-a-half documentary. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So this is a, a, a big program, an educational program that is centered around the film. That's that's exciting. So that we could set up here, and I know that um, you know the, a good friend of mine and my real estate agent, who's really listens to this show all the time and has really become uh, interested in uh, free market economics and Austrian economics, has wondered if we couldn't put something together like this. So I'm thinking this is uh, this is really exciting. I think it's something that I'm going to want to follow up on here here in uh, my little section of Queens where I live. I think definitely people start to understand. You know, David, uh, they're programmed. We're all programmed by the mainstream media to think as Keynesians. And and so people just, but once they start to think about Austrian economics, it's the most natural thing in the world. I mean, because Austrian economics really captures the way we think and act as human beings to meet our everyday needs. And the Keynesians are really using complicated mathematical uh, equations to try to predict how groups of people will act rather than how we each act individually. So it's it's really a message that I think when people hear it, you know, that's why I think Ron Paul was so successful in many ways is when he talked straight talk and it was a way that, you know, when he, when he talked about the economy, uh, you know, my mother who went through her uh, sophomore year in high school said he's the only guy, Jay, up there among those presidential candidates that make any sense. And she wasn't programmed uh, for Ron Paul at all. But in any event, um, th- that's really exciting. Anything else, David, on the, on the film? Yes, a few other points I'd love to make, Jay. One is that the, the film is really uh, explains the similarities between the NASDAQ bubble, the housing bubble, and where we are in the current bubble mm-hmm. due to artificially low interest rates and unsustainable credit expansion mm-hmm. and how, unfortunately, that leads to bad economic times ahead. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is meant to explain to an, an average American, you don't really have to be an economist to understand sure. this, 
but some of the problems with uh, reckless money printing and the problems with lack of consequences, the problems with bailouts, and that you, you really have got to uh, pursue true free market policies and let failures occur and that money printing is not the road to prosperity. Uh, the, the other key point about film, it is, it, it's really uh, meant to educate Americans about this dire financial situation that we face today and that really the same policies are being pursued today that got us into this fix. And therefore, it, it's, it's dangerous and it is really a problem that we are continuing to follow the same policies. Mm -hmm. And so the filmmakers are out to educate Americans on following more prudent economic policies. Yeah, it's well. It certainly is. It certainly is the case. And as I think uh, you know, on the trailer, Peter Schiff talks very uh, forcefully and eloquently about about exactly that. How you know the very guys that got us into trouble, uh, we're asking them to get us out of trouble. And what they're doing is using the same policies that got us into trouble to start with. And again, um, the pr the, uh, the the trailer is excellent. I think and will help people get a a sense. David, will this be available at the at the theaters or people on on cable television or on DVDs or, or how will they how, how will people see this movie? Jay, we're finalizing distribution arrangements right mm -hmm. now. It's mm -hmm. certainly going to be available on DVD. Mm -hmm. uh, it will certainly be available uh, eventually on TV networks. Uh, we hope to have a theatrical release in some uh, theaters around the country, uh, but we're just finalizing those arrangements right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, certainly, it's it's. Um, I think it's. I really wish you the best, and uh, whatever we can do uh, to help promote it, we will do from this end for sure on this radio show and uh, in my community. Whatever we can do, uh, I think it's it's very very important. Whether we'll get enough people to listen to turn the tide, uh, but I guess you got to. I guess, I guess maybe you're drawing from that uh, from your other movie. You know, you got to be courageous. You got to believe. You've got to have faith, and you've got to work hard and believe in yourself and. And believe in your ideas, and David, you certainly <laughs> have done that over the years, uh, <clears throat> standing up against uh, the majority opinion and uh, and persevered through some very difficult difficult times. It was a lot easier to throw in the towel in those years and join the and join the uh, um, the, the bash, the Wall Street bash that was going on, and uh, it was very tempting not to do that for sure. Um, or it was very tempting to do that. Anything else, David, on the on the film? Another interesting period that's pointed out in the film, Jay, is the Panic of 1920. Mm -hmm. And this was a economic period that was worse than the first year of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. uh, industrial production fell 21%, GDP fell 24%, unemployment grew from 4% to nearly 12%. Mm -hmm. So the response that took place during that period is that we ended up cutting government spending by half from... 1920 to 1922. We balanced the budget. We started paying off debt, and the crisis ended up 
ending in the summer of 1921. Wow, David. So, so let me let me just stop you for a second. So, what the uh, the policy was exactly the opposite of what we're doing now and what we did in the 1930s. Instead of expanding uh, spending and um, you cut spending, and you had a very brutal uh, contraction for a year, but it was a short one. And you're talking about unemployment going from four to twelve percent. That twelve percent wasn't anything worse. Was wasn't nearly as bad as what happened in the 1930s. Ultimately, exactly. And, and now th- this this was the period prior to the cutting of government spending. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is the economy came back after we ended up balancing the budget. Mm-hmm. And Tom Woods loves to talk about this period as far as being a diametrically opposed policy Mm -hmm. to what we're pursuing today. Mm -hmm. And even though it appears as if uh, what we're doing today is keeping the economy alive, Obama likes to talk about the jobs are being created. There's still uh, significant unemployment if you look at uh, frustrated workers, disillusioned workers, etc. And there's a, a lot of Americans that are still feeling great economic pain, and that cannot be argued today. David, I don't know if you if you can comment on this or not, but from 1913 to 1920, 1913 is when the Federal Reserve was created, of course. Uh, we had this bubble. Was this a big bubble out of the norm prior to the Federal Reserve's creation? In other words, we had this bubble. Was the bubble created by excess money creating, or, or what? You know, easier banking policies, fractional reserve, uh, relaxation of reserves, or what? What do you, do you have a sense of that? Why Why did we have a bubble? Uh, was you know that became excessive to start with. I believe that bubble was uh, created from uh, reckless monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And then we had a Federal Reserve that was armed to do that. But at least there was enough of the old view of free market economics that said, "Wait, we're going too far with this." Uh, and they cut back then, and government cut back and uh, balanced the budget. And you had a very sharp, brutal recession. Uh, Depression, if you want to call it that, it was over quickly. And what I see here is, a, you know, an unemployment rate that reached 12 percent. Okay, well, that's more or less, honestly, what we have now. Uh, we probably could be worse than that if you use uh, John Williams' numbers. So, uh, David, it seems to me that that wasn't, you know, bad enough for sure. If you're the one that lost your job, but from a policy point of view, uh, it was brutal. It was quick, but it was over, and then on and upwards with growth again. That's the message. Exactly. All right. Well, that's. I look forward to that. Uh, that that's, this movie is something I'm going to really want to watch and probably talk about on this show. And we'll have, <clears throat> of course, uh, the people that are guests that, that are on, in your movie will be on and have been on this show. I want to get more of the academics, the ones that I've had so far, the, the higher profile people uh, that are in your movie primarily. The only one I think that I haven't had among those would be James Grant. But, uh, David, this is really going to be very, very good, I think, um, no doubt about it. Your message is, is clear to me. What we have to do is try to make it clear to, the, to a lot more people. So I really appreciate that. Well, I'd just like to ask you, David, if you'd like to comment a little bit now. I think you've done it in a broad base. You've talked about we're repeating the same problems. We're creating another bubble. We're creating a treasury bubble now. Is that where you think the problem is going to be in the U.S. Treasuries? Yes, Jay. We certainly have a bond bubble, and we have a, a Federal Reserve that's buying mortgages and Treasury securities today in order to to keep this bubble going. I think it's going to end in inflation down the road. Uh, you cannot continue to pursue reckless uh, monetary policy like we have without experiencing dire consequences from that. 
that's what this film is all about. Uh, it's difficult to say when the next chapter of the decline will occur. Uh, again, I like to parallel where we are today uh, to the 2003 to 2007 period where it, it looked as if uh, the market was up every year and we just created more credit out of thin air, and that's what created the housing bubble. Mm-hmm. We ended up taking uh, mortgage finance from about $260 billion a year to $1.3 trillion a year, mm-hmm. and that ended up uh, encouraging the economy. Uh, Bob McTeer at the Dallas Fed said, everything will be all right if we all hold hands and buy a new SUV. Uh, from 2009 to 2012, we've taken a different policy because private uh, credit extension was impossible. So now we have utilized the Federal Reserve for credit extension and to buy all the securities that are being issued and uh, and, and r- rolled over. And now it's also going to end in bad economic times to come. And it's unfortunate, but that's how we see it. Well, we've had this this enormous bull market in long-dated U.S. Treasuries going back to about 1982. And, uh, you know, we've had A. Gary Schilling on this show, and he's still bullish on Treasuries. And, you know, he's been right year after year. Uh, you know, we've had other people, uh, guys that are more on the inflation side of, of this, this whole pathological uh, story. Uh, have uh, the inflationists have always been predicting way too early that the bond bubble uh, would collapse and we'd start seeing a spike in interest rates. I, uh, but you know, interestingly enough, Robert Prechter, who's been on the show, has now come out and he has uh, turned bearish on long-dated Treasuries, even though he is such a deflationist. And his argument is uh, not that uh, that interest rates are going to rise because we're going to have a booming economy, but in fact because people because the default levels will start to rise. What are your views? Uh, it's a great point you're making, Jay. As far as uh, a lot of the bears have really fallen into two camps: either the deflationists or the inflationists. Mm-hmm. And Prechter and Schilling are generally uh, pretty. Bearish. However, they're in the deflation camp where mm-hmm. others like Faber and Schiff and Rogers are more in the inflation mm-hmm. camp. Uh, I'd say I'd side about 70% with the inflation camp. I do believe that velocity will eventually pick up. Mm-hmm. The reason that inflation is not picked up is because velocity has continued to decline mm-hmm. and the, the turnover of money. Mm-hmm. And if the, the if it does begin to pick up, then we're going to let the genie out of the bottle, mm-hmm. and then inflation is going to pick up, and mm-hmm. I do believe that is what's coming. Mm-hmm. Well, David, one of the things, though, I mean, looking at John Williams' numbers uh, and his inflation numbers, I, I like to call it the, uh, the canary from the coal mine that's been killed, and that is the real inflation numbers. And I'd like to ask your opinion on this, because if we look at the government saying that our inf- CPI is around 1.7%, well, my wife and I don't believe that. We don't buy that, because our cost of living is going up. Health care, food, energy, everything else, long-term is not 1.7%. Williams' numbers are closer to 10% right now. And as I understand it, he's measuring inflation as was measured before Ronald Reagan in, in 1980. 
And if you start to look at those numbers and then use those numbers, uh, you know, in terms of measuring GDP, household uh, disposable income, uh, things like that, uh, those charts uh, look very much like the consumer sentiment charts that I see from the Michigan survey and the other one. And it seems to me that Williams might be onto something here that, in fact, you talk about velocity. How am I going to start spending more money when I'm, when I can't, when I, when I, I'm hardly able to pay my rent and buy my food and, and keep my car fueled up? I mean, uh, so my question to you, David, is first of all, a couple of questions. First of all, do you think inflation is closer to John Williams numbers or the CPI that the government gives us? And secondly, then, if that's the case and the masses of Americans are having less disposable income, how do we get velocity pumped up then, if that's the case? Uh, great questions. I do believe the inflation number is probably closer to the John Williams numbers because, as you said, what Williams does is he just calculates it mathematically based on the methods that were utilized uh, a couple decades ago. Mm-hmm. And in terms of there are is definitely hurting uh, in middle America with uh, disillusioned workers, et cetera, increasing unemployment mm-hmm. uh, with the U6 figures, I think at probably 15, 16%. Yes. That uh, it, it is difficult for uh, individuals to go out and spend very much. Mm-hmm. Frankly, uh, that's how we, why we utilize excessive credit growth in order to grow the economy for a number of years mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, the mid-1990s forward was that's how we grew the economy because the consumer was not really doing that well, but he just relied more and more on debt in order to finance his lifestyle to keep mm-hmm. the economy growing. Mm-hmm. And But I do believe at some point that uh, velocity is going to pick up because we've increased the, the monetary base to such a level uh-huh. and that, that we have been so reckless in our fiat money policies that will it will eventually lead to velocity pickup. Right. Well I, I certainly could I certainly could buy that. I'm just having a, a problem I guess as a as a um, middle class person myself. Um, you know, I'm not complaining. Life is pretty good for for Teresa and myself, but I, I just I, I just wonder how it seems like the rich are getting richer. The uh, the redistribution of wealth that's coming through this money printing process, uh, Washington grabbing a bigger part of GDP, Wall Street grabbing a bigger part of GDP. The the rich getting richer, and I have no problem with that, David. I'm a capitalist. But I have a problem with it because I think it's it's happening not because of free market economics, but because of the um, the gaming that essentially um, the games that are played and the ability to redistribute wealth. Uh, the people that have control of the system have first dibs on it, and everybody else is sort of so. I'm so that's uh, interesting, and I, 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 to me, that's the big reason why I see the deflation side is where do we get the masses now? If we started sending money uh, out in mass to the to the you know took to the common folks i could definitely see it but maybe you know maybe there's a, a we see it do you believe that commodity inflation the commodity inflation we've had is largely a result of speculative money or to a certain extent uh, caused by speculative money in wall street or is it really di- driven by global uh, growth and demand I, I think there's been a great deal of uh, demand coming from the speculative side for sure yeah, you know, it's hard to measure it. I suppose it'd be impossible to measure it. 
Yeah. Well, David, I don't know. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think I think we've we've covered your points on the movie. Uh, we could always talk to you longer about the economy, but I know that you're a busy man, and um, I want to thank you very much for your time. Anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Uh, no, I think you covered the waterfront, Jay, and again, your listeners are quite fortunate to have you uh, bring some um, inspiring guests on the show and keep up the great work. Yeah, my listeners are very fortunate to have good people like you coming on our show for sure, David, so thank you very much. Folks, again, the movie is The Bubble. Go to www.jtaylormedia.com or The Bubble. What is it, David? The Bubble? TheBubbleFilm.com directly to the site. Lots of good stuff there, and you'll get a good idea of of what this movie's about. It's a very, very important message. Thank you very much, David, for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break with Pamela Aden, and I'm sure Pamela will have some things to say, looking at her charts about where she thinks stocks, bonds, gold, and commodities are heading in the near and longer term. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Pamela Aden. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 